use the rest of the time we have together talking about what do you do if this is like your 85th rodeo at this. Because I know a lot of you, we go into these 21 days of prayer and you're expecting like a prayer series. And I'm going to give you that, everybody. But we're going to do it a little bit differently during these 20. What do you do when you've been through the 21 days of prayer three, four, five, a hundred times? And you've done the 21 day prayer of fasting in January. Lord, help us all. It's coming. And you've done those things so many times. What do you do when you're in a moment where you feel like, okay, the same things keep coming back on my list? The same things that I keep praying keep showing up every 21 January, August. I keep praying. What do you do when you get in a position where you're like, I don't really think this thing works? I don't, I just keep seeing the same. I see other people check stuff off their list. So that's great for them. But I keep praying for the same things to happen. I keep praying. What do you do when you're in that moment of like, I don't really think this is worth all this effort? I don't think this is worth me going out to all these places. I don't think it's worth me showing up 21 days because I'm not really seeing an answer to what I'm praying for. What do you do in those moments? Can we be real with each other this morning? It's a little quiet in this church. What do you do when you're in those 21 days of prayer and you're not seeing the answer that you want to come? And you're thinking, well, I think, you know, God gives breakthroughs to other people. And I think he touches other people. And I think he answers prayers and heals other people, but not for me. I got faith for you, but not for me. I've met a lot of Christians who are very mature in their faith been following the Lord for a lot of years, got a lot of faith for everybody around them, but none for themselves. No faith that God would actually do anything for them. And I want to remind you over 20 times in the New Testament, we are reminded and we are commanded to ask. And you say, well, what do you, I'm in this moment, but we are commanded to ask God for things in the New Testament. Over 20 times, he says, we are told we need to ask him. We need to ask God for things. In fact, Billy Graham once said that heaven is full of answers to prayer that people never bothered to ask. They never even bothered to ask. What do you do when asked? And some of you, though, you said, well, I have asked. I've asked for years now. I ask God all the time. And you're like, and I feel more like Job. Job said in chapter 30 of the book, he said, I've asked. I've cried to you, God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. Look, Job's prayers are very easy to relate to. Terrible for biblical instruction, but easy to relate to. A lot of you are saying, I have asked, I've asked over and over, and it feels like there's no answer coming. It feels like God's not even looking at me. He can look at everybody else, but not me. And some of you feel that way. It's going to happen for everybody. It's how Job felt in this moment. And yet in Jeremiah 33, the Bible says, God says, call to me. Call to me, and I will answer you. I'll tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. You say, I have been calling. Matthew chapter 7 said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. I was very clear about ask God, ask God for an answer, ask God for a thing. And yet still we live with this faith. So how do we, where's this disconnect that how can we live this life of faith that we are asking and we're not feeling like we're getting an answer or, or we're asking and it feels like God is unresponsive. And yet we still live with the faith that the Bible says I'm going to answer. Like, is it false advertising? Like, what is this? Like, is God lying to us? What's this disconnect between what we are praying and what we are doing and how we feel God is responding to us? Are we doing something wrong? Uh, is there like some magical potion? Because we do that, right? We look for solutions when this happens. We like, give me the method. Give me the systems. Like, give me the three steps. I'm just doing something wrong in this. Like, I'd make it more simple. Like, am I, should I fast in January and August? Come on, somebody. Should I just like, should I give up chocolate and only drink prune juice for three weeks? Is that what I should be? Is that the key? Listen, that is the key to nothing, everybody. All right. That is, I'll just give you the answer. Actually, it's the key to something, but it's probably not your answer to prayer. All right, everybody. When we ask, what is the system? How should I respond to this? How do I get my answer? So I want to give you some things to remind you. Try to kind of build your faith as we go with these 21 days. I want to start these 21 in a different way. I want to build your faith. What does it mean and what do we do when it feels like God's not answering? When it feels like God doesn't see? A couple of things for you. Jot it down if you're taking notes. First thing is, I want to remind you, God does not have blind spots. 
God is not in the dark about anything. Nothing has ever occurred to God. God's not like, oh, I never saw that. Oh, I'm very surprised by that. God never has that moment in his life. God has no blind spots about your life. Everything about your life, God sees. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says it this way. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything uncovered laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One translation says he sees everyone everywhere. God sees everything. There is no part about your life that is hidden to him. No conversation that you've had. No thing that you've entertained. No place that you've been. No thing you've watched. No whatever relation. Everything is before God. It's incredible you think about that. God has no blind spots about your life. But God has no blind spots about your purpose and his plan for your life as well. God's not surprised by the things in your life. I don't know about you, but I am a fly by the seat of my pants kind of a guy. I don't know how you live your life. But I, I love to just like, I, and it drives my wife crazy. It is absolutely probably the number one thing that she dislikes about. I just love to make decisions in them. We can respond best when we know nothing. Come on, somebody. You can, I can make some great decisions in the moment. Like we can just roll with it. But my wife is a great planner. Like she, she loves to know things ahead of time and make them planned and ready. And she likes to arrive at the moment and know already what's going to happen. She loves that. And I'm like, let's just roll with it in the moment, baby. Like we can, we can make some good decisions when we're on it. And I'm Honestly, our vacations are a hundred times better when she plans them. I don't know how that keeps working out. But I, I'm just like, we can, we can do, I, I respond best when I don't know what's about to happen. It's just the way I love to live. Listen to me. God is not that way about your life. God is not like, let's just, let's just see what happens. Let's just, let's just do this thing. See the results and try again, baby. Let's just try. That's not how God approaches your life. God has a purpose and a plan for you. God has a purpose that he's working out. And so as we mature in this journey of faith, we'll come to find out if God, it wasn't that God wasn't listening to the prayer because his delays are not his denials. It wasn't that God wasn't answering the prayer. We begin to find out as we walk this journey of faith with him, God has no blind spots. God's just not just missing that because he's so focused on somebody else. No, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for what he's going to do. And sometimes it's just a redirection because he has a better plan than what we are seeing. He has a better plan for your life. And so it's not like, hey, God, why don't you answer this? Because I've got the prayer and I've got the solution. So come on, God, why don't you get on my page? Have you ever prayed prayers like that? Like, Lord, I've got this prayer, but I'm going to tail end this with a solution to it. I've got, I know exactly because I have great plans for Ben, says the Ben. All right. I have incredible plans for my life. I know what God should be doing in my life and how things should end up. But most of the time, that's not God's plan for me. Every so often I get lucky, everybody, every so often. But that's not the plan God has for me. And so as we grow in our faith, as we grow in this journey of faith, we begin to believe and to trust God in his direction for our lives. And God has a different plan. And oftentimes we look back at our lives and we thank God for unanswered prayer. I don't know if you've ever walked through that, but you pray for something for a season and then you look back and you think, oh, thank you, God, you didn't listen to me. Thank you, God. Some of you ever come back from a high school reunion and been like, praise God for unanswered prayer. Just pray. <laughs> Woo, dodged a bullet on that one. I just... Praise, praise you, Lord. I praise you for your honor. A lot of wasted tears. Come on, somebody. You look back and you thank God that he didn't listen to you that, because God had a bigger plan for your life. God had prayers answered that you didn't even know about in the moment. And you would pray for something that probably wasn't all that good for you. And so we begin to trust God as we grow. That God doesn't have blind spots about our life, doesn't have blind spots about what his calling is for us. We have to understand that God's not in the dark. Number two, jot it down if you're taking notes. God does have a better idea. If he's not answering your prayers because he has something better in mind. Isaiah 55 says it this way. You know this verse. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. 
Now, that is frustrating to me, all right? That is, I don't know if you've ever just stopped in the middle of a verse, but that frustrates me because, I, again, I've got some really good thoughts. I've got some really good plans, but he says, my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. I think sometimes we trick ourselves and we think, well, I'm, I'm a fairly intelligent person, and so maybe my ways are getting a little bit closer to God's ways. Maybe my thoughts are, they're not quite at God's level, but maybe I'm close. But watch, he says, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's a humbling verse, everybody. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care how studied or learned you think you are. Your thoughts don't even approach that God's ways are higher. God has a better plan. God has a better way of doing things. And we've got to resign ourselves to the fact that I've translated this verse for you before. He is God and we are not. And so as Christians, we have to remind ourselves of the fact that he is God and we are not. Because I think too often we get stuck in our own thoughts and our own thought patterns, our own plans, and we forget about his. And we have to resign ourselves to the fact that he is God. I want to tell you this in Hebrews chapter 11. He talks about this, this better plan. Because watch this. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better. We talk about these people of old, these heroes of the faith. The first half of chapter 11 of Hebrews talks about the ones who shut the mouths of lions. Right? Like they saw the miracles of God. They ruled with justice. They saw all these miracles happen in their life, received the dead back to them. It mentions all these people. They got all these things. These are the heroes of old. And we preach about them every weekend. The heroes of the faith. And yet the back half of the chapter gives this honorable mention to people whose names we'll never know till we get to heaven. Sawed in two and never got the promise. Thrown into jail and never saw what God actually had planned for Jesus Christ to come. Never, never got to hear their testimony. Never got to know their names. Never got to see about them. Went through all of these things, but God had something better. Listen to me. God has something better, but it might not seem like better from your perspective. When you're the one getting sawn in two and you're not able to see the promise in this, it might not look like something better from your perspective, but God has a better plan. And what it means to grow in our faith is understanding that God has a plan he's working out, that God has something better. Maybe you're praying for a specific outcome, but God has something better. I, I'm convinced Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were getting in this, this dilemma, this situation they were in, I'm convinced that they prayed, God, let us not go into the fiery furnace. Because they stood before the king and said, we will never bow. You're going to have to throw us in. And as they're getting thrown in, they're probably like, why did we say that? Like, why, why did we give that as an option? What was that? But God didn't have a plan to rescue them before the fiery furnace. He had a plan to join them in the midst of it. Daniel, on his way to the lion's den, probably prayed, oh, God, kill all the lions. God, kill the king. God, save me from this edict. But God didn't have a plan to rescue Daniel before the lion. He had a plan to shut the mouths of the lions. God had a plan that was better. You think about the Apostle Paul. Paul had a dream. He was going to go to Rome. He was going to preach the greatest crusade the world had ever seen. What happened? He ended up in prison. Wasn't Paul's plan. Paul ends up in prison trying to write letters in the dark, trying to like be chained to somebody and still scrabble out two-thirds of the New Testament in prison. That wasn't Paul's plan, but how many know God had a better plan for him? God looked at him and said, let's not just impact this city. Let's impact the generations after this. Because I don't need you to preach. I need you to write wasn't Paul's plan, but how many know it was better? And now we live our lives based on the Holy Spirit-inspired words that Paul wrote. God had a better plan. It may not seem like better in the moment. It may not seem like better from your perspective. But God has a better plan. God's plan is different. And so God works in these situations when we pray. When we begin to lift up our prayers, we have to remember that God has a better plan for us. 
So I don't know what God is up to in your life. I don't know what answers you have received, what you haven't. But I do know that God has a purpose and a plan for you. And I will die on that hill that every single Christian, God has a purpose for your life. He's not in the dark about it. His plan is better for you. And it may not fit from your point of view, but we just have to trust God. Why? Because number three, watch this. God always has an unseen purpose. He has a bigger purpose, an overarching purpose to this, that God's not only trying to answer your prayer, but God has an overarching purpose that he's working out in the world, that he's actually moving and orchestrating and doing in this world. Because it says this in Isaiah chapter 46, it says, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. I think sometimes we get the wrong view. We're like, God's up in heaven, like, well, we can't do that because the devil blocked that alleyway. And I guess I can't do that anymore because that person, they just did that. So I guess we just can't see anything. I guess we're just going to have to sit for a while. Shucks. That's not how God is. God says, everything that I've determined, everything that I've done will come to pass. Everything that I do, all that I please. God has a purpose as he's unrolling. God has a purpose that he's living out. No, God's up in heaven. He's not like, well, now I just can't get my stuff done. No, God is saying, I'm going to do what I have determined to do. It doesn't matter what the devil throws your way. It doesn't matter what comes in your path. It doesn't matter what pain you walk through. It doesn't matter what gets thrown against you. God's purpose for your life will come to pass. If we stay faithful to him, if we live in his will, then God's purpose for us will continue. The Bible says this. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians. He said, therefore, we take heart. Therefore, we take heart, for we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us. Can I just pause right there and say Paul's troubles were anything but light and momentary. Like if you actually read the New Testament, his troubles were heavy and they lasted a long time. Like Paul walked through some stuff. Like everybody in Paul's life was hating on him. Everybody in Paul's life wanted to kill him. Everybody wanted to throw him out. Every, Paul, Paul walked through some stuff in his life from chains to bondage to persecution. One time in Paul's life, they dragged him out of the city, threw rocks at him till they thought he was dead and left him there. And you know what Paul's response was? Paul got climbed out of the rocks, went back into the city and preached the gospel to the people who had thrown the rocks at him. Come on, somebody. That is a, that's a bad idea. If you throw rocks at me, drag me out to the parking lot, I'm retiring. I'm not coming back, everybody. I'm, <laughs> that's it. I'm out of here. That's the end of my ministry. I'm going to go retire on some beach somewhere. But Paul said, our light and momentary afflictions... Our light and momentary afflictions. I've got perspective about it, what I'm going through. About how long they last, how painful they feel that God's got a bigger purpose. And watch this, what he says, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So Paul is saying these light and momentary, even though they weren't, even though they were incredibly heavy and incredibly long lasting, he said it doesn't matter in light of eternity because I've set my eyes on something different. He says, I've set my eyes on something unseen. So this is a battle of perspective. Because watch, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what we see is temporary. The light and momentary. What we, we see, it's a lot of times what 90% of our prayers are about is temporary. A lot of times what so often we care and we give all of our effort to is temporary. But what we live our lives basing, what we give everything we've got to obtain is temporary. But he says, I don't fix my eyes on that. But what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen is eternal, that a Savior that we await from heaven. That what is unseen is eternal, reward that will be given. What is unseen is eternal, that our relationship with God determines the outcome of eternity. He's saying, that's what I set my eyes on. That I don't set my eyes on the temporary. I don't set my eyes on what is seen. That's what's eternal is what matters. 
That it's not about this life, it's about the life to come. That it's not about what's temporary, it's about what's eternal. It's not about what we think we can just squabble and scrabble together in this life. It's about what God is doing in the midst of us. That you and I working together is what impacts eternity. It's about preaching the gospel to every person around us, using every gift God has given us. And he says, well, I fix my eyes on what is eternal, but I got to know that God has a purpose for my life. And sometimes we don't understand that God has a purpose. Sometimes we don't understand that God has a purpose. He's working out of this earth. You know, the number one word that your kids hate the most is no. Anybody ever experienced that when your kids are little? Maybe when they're older too as well, but I don't know because I haven't gotten there yet. But when they are little, they hate the word no. Or let me, let me kind of, uh, mis- let, me, let me misphrase that. They love to say the word no. They hate to hear it. Come on, somebody. And one of the greatest things in your life is beginning. You start with that word no, and you got to hold to it, like stick to your guns. Because if you give up early, you will ruin the rest of your life. But you got to stick to it. And it begins with just saying no, because I said so, right? Just no, you don't even understand things. And then you graduate to the phrase of like, no, and let me give you the reason why. Because they grow into these logical reasoning monsters. Come on, somebody. They just, I don't know how that happens, but they just do it. Let me give you the reason in the moment. Let me just tell you why I'm saying no. But you know, the highest way you can reach is when you can say no and they respect you for it. That you can reach a moment where you say no and maybe I'll give you my reasoning later, but we're not like launching the nuclear bomb in the middle of Target just because I said no. They reach that moment where they're able to understand and to respect you that they may not understand why in the moment, but they trust your leadership. Because they know that you love them. They know that you have a purpose for them. They know that you care about them. And so they're able to hear that no and respect you for it. That's the greatest. You know, the actual, the actual spiritual maturity. I want to show this to you. The mark of spiritual maturity is where you're able to handle what you don't understand. Spiritual maturity is not knowing more than everybody around you. That's not what spiritual... Spiritual maturity is not that you can just throw one-line religious zingers at everybody in your life. That's not what it is. Spiritual maturity is when you are in the dark and God says, I still need you to be faithful. Is where you might not understand completely what you're walking through. And God says, I still need you to be faithful to that. There's stuff we have walked through the last seven, eight years around here. I can't tell you to this day why God would lead us through it. Only that he did. And so we have to stay faithful in the midst of that, knowing, knowing that God is faithful. We have to stay faithful knowing that he has a purpose. Knowing that even in the midst of those things, God has called us to be faithful in those things. Why? Because I don't care what happens in this life. I don't care... What happens in these 21 days of prayer for my prayer? God may answer them or he may not. I'm going to be faithful to pray them. But I know that he has a purpose on this earth. He said, well, why? Because I know that we're living for an eternal purpose that God is working out. I know that the actions that we take as he leads us will build the kingdom of God. And so we're faithful in that. And I don't care if I understand. I don't care if I agree. I just know that he is God and I am not. And so we're going to stay faithful in what God has called me to do in this life because I'm not living for the approval of anybody else. I'm not living for the approval of you guys. I'm not living for the I'm living for the audience of one. That God has called us to be faithful. These light and momentary troubles will pass, living for an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And that's what we're living for. It's what we are called to. We're not called to always understand it. We're not called to always agree. We are called to be faithful to what God has called us to. And oftentimes, if he's not answering a prayer, it's because we don't need it to do what he has called us to do. I think sometimes that's one of the hardest things to understand as a Christian, that oftentimes God will call us to do something. And we're praying for everything in the world, but we haven't realized he's already equipped us to do what he's called us to do. I can tell that's popular this morning. We're going through this thing. It's all that matters. God has a purpose that we don't see. Two more and we're done. Number four today, God loves us more than we know. I think sometimes this is hardest for people who have been in the faith a long time to understand. 
People who are new to the faith, people who have just had their salvation, people who have just just met the Lord, they are easy to understand this. But sometimes when you've been in the faith a long time, it's the hardest to understand that God loves us more than we can imagine because we think, well, we got it all figured out. We know God's limit. We know his love. We know, we know we, we're used to it. We're not in awe of it anymore. We have to remind ourselves in these moments when it feels like God's not answering or it feels like we're alone, we need to remind ourselves God loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And that all of his actions towards us, he does motivate it by love. That the way God loves us is how he treats us. That the way God loves us is the way that he answers our prayers. The way God loves us, because oftentimes the Bible says all of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. All of the ways to those who follow his commandments. And this is echoed in Romans. We'll read it in just a second. But God has never forsaken you. God has never left you. God has never left you alone. That God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. We have to settle in our hearts. If God is not doing that, or if God is not answering in that scenario, or God is not doing, it's because he loves us, not because he doesn't. And the devil would love to get in your ear and say, things aren't working out because God doesn't love you. Things aren't working out because he's just somehow lost sight of you. God just isn't listening to you in this season. No, oftentimes the action God takes or the inaction he takes is because he loves us. Because he loves us so much. Oftentimes I withhold stuff from my kids, not because I don't love them, but because I do. I have told you many, many times about my unhealthy obsession with Swiss cake rolls. Come on, somebody. And it's still around. I've not broken that thing off my life. It just is. It is what it is. All right. We're just going to live with it. But my daughter, Hava, our youngest, she's four years old. She has had like one half of one in her entire lifetime. But she talks about them like they are the greatest thing on earth. I don't know where she gets it, but she she loves to talk about it. And you are kidding yourself if you think she will not eat the entire box in half a second when you turn your back. And so I withhold things from her, not because I don't love her, but because you can't have chocolate every day of your life. No, you can't have that because I do care about her. No, you can't have chocolate because that is incredibly unhealthy. And because those are my desserts. Go get your own. Come on, somebody. But I, I withhold things, not because somehow I don't love my child, but because I do. And so many times, if God is not answering something in your life, if God is not giving you something that you really, really, really want... It's not because he doesn't love you. So oftentimes it's because he does. Because he knows what's better. Because he loves you. And sometimes God tells us no because what we're asking for is not even healthy for us. I love to read the Old Testament. It's one of my, I love the stories in the first and second Kings and all those. And you can read through some of these Kings. And God answers prayers sometimes when they beg and they plead and they, they lift up offerings and they do. There was a king that asked God for more years for his life. And God didn't give him that prayer until he begged and he gave the prophet. And finally, God answered his prayer, gave him 15 more years. You read that story. He births a son in those 15 years that undoes every religion, every good thing he ever did for God in the kingdom. Sometimes God withholds because he does love. And it's a hard thing to, to grasp as a Christian that sometimes, that sometimes God does love us even when we think that he's leaving us alone. Even when we think that he doesn't see us. We have to remind ourselves God is a loving God. He's a gracious God, a faithful God. Romans chapter 8 says, and we know that in all things, this is the echo of the Old Testament now in the New. It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, been called according to his purpose. And I've said it often, I'll say it again. If it's not good, then God's not done. If it's not good yet, then God's not done because he is working out a plan on this life. If we stay faithful in his purpose, we stay faithful to him. That God is working out those things. Why? Because he does love us. We remember that God is working towards the good. And so we have a decision to make. That we have to believe, if we're going to believe in the love of God, 
We got the devil in our ears saying, well, it's because God forgot about you. It's because God doesn't love you as much as he loves other people. It's because God doesn't listen to you. If to decide, no, I know that my God loves me more than I could possibly imagine, that he has a purpose for my life, that he has a plan for me to walk out, and I'm going to stay faithful whether I understand or not, whether I see it or not, whether I agree or not. I'm going to stay faithful to what God has called me to do. Number five, the last one, that God doesn't answer prayers sometimes the way we want him to. But I know this, that God always gives us grace. That he always gives us grace. I love this passage. I get encouragement from this passage. Second Corinthians, Paul's writing. He says, because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, and Paul, I just want you to notice this. Paul's saying, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. Like Paul had some great revelations. Like Paul had visions of heaven and the, the creatures that worship before the throne. Paul had all these things that he saw ahead of time. Paul had this incredible revelation of what the church should look like in the world. Incredible revelation of why Jesus came. All these things that Paul, Paul was a pretty big deal, everybody. He was planting churches, spreading the gospel. Paul was a pretty big deal. And yet he says, because of all of this, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. God said, I'm going to give you some things to keep you humble. That even Paul, in the midst of this, God said, I'm going to give you some things about that. God said, in order, because I had all this responsibility, God said, I'm going to give you things to keep you humble. And then he said, I was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, we don't know what that was exactly. Some people think it was like this predisposition towards a temptation or something that Paul couldn't get rid of. Or it was the Judaizers who would follow after Paul as he planted churches and and create this legalistic environment. Paul would have to circle back around, which when you're traveling by ship took a long time. And so Paul would have to circle back and try to fix things that they would do. And it tormented him throughout his ministry. We don't know exactly what it was. We just know that Paul had it. He said, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That I had this, this thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Paul said, I, I was given to me to make me humble. Whatever it was, it was tormenting his life. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I asked God. I love the fact that Paul had an area where he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. That the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, incredible man of God. Apostle Paul spread the gospel more in the world than anybody else. The Apostle Paul, incredible man of God. Prayed and he prayed and he prayed. And God didn't take it. And he prayed in faith. I don't care if you make that argument where he just didn't have enough faith. Didn't have, you know, that's, I hate that. It just creeps into the church every few hundred years. Didn't have the faith. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about. Prayed and he prayed and he was confused and he was frustrated saying, God, what's wrong with you? God, why won't you take this? God, why won't you, why won't you take this off of me? God, I don't understand. God, I don't know why I have to go through it. God, why won't you get rid of it? And he prayed and he prayed and God kept telling him the same answer, which means Paul was about as hard-headed as most of you. Come on, somebody. And he prayed, God, would you take it? And he said, God, continue to say to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I love that God, that Paul continued to pray, God, would you take it? God, I have this issue. Would you answer that prayer? God, I have this problem. Would you answer? Would you take it away? God, I have this problem. Would you give me the solution? God, I have this thing. Would you take it from me? I need you to take it from me, God. I can imagine the prayers because a whole lot of us have prayed prayers like this. God, can you imagine how much greater my ministry would be if you would just take this problem? Paul is saying, God, do you know how many more people I could lead to Jesus if you would just get rid of this one thing? God, do you know how, how incredible I would be, spiritual giant in the faith, if you would just remove this? I think of all I could do, God. Think of all I could do for you, O oh Lord, if you would just answer my prayer. 
And God looked at Paul. And God said, you don't need the answer to that prayer. What you need is more of me. What you need is more of my grace. What you need is more of me in the midst of your weakness. But you don't need the answer to that. In the moment of weakness, he says, maybe that's what's driving you to God. Paul said, it's to keep me, to keep me humble. Paul said, it's, it's what keeps me from becoming conceited. And so oftentimes in our life, we will pray prayers. God, would you take care of this area of life? But I often wonder the motivation behind our prayers. Are you really praying because you want to be a true, better follower of Christ? Or are we praying that God would take it so we no longer need him? And so many times the motivation behind our prayers, maybe it's that weakness or it's that tendency. Maybe it's actually that relationship. Maybe whatever it is in your life, maybe it's actually what drives you to your knees. The thing that actually drives you to God to depend on his power in your life. That sometimes we pray so many prayers and if God answered them all, we just pray that we would just become God. That we no longer need him. We no longer need forgiveness. We no longer need his strength. That we could just do it all on our own. But God says, no, it's in that weakness that my strength is made perfect. My power is made perfect. He says, listen to me. God does not share glory. He's not raising us up to become gods of our own. God has called us. God has equipped us to do what he's called us to do. But oftentimes, oftentimes we get conceited in the midst of it. So he tells Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. The Holy Spirit is telling Paul, saying, hey, you don't need the answer to that prayer. What you need is to seek me in the midst of your problem. What you need is, and in the midst of, doesn't matter what pain you're walking through. It doesn't matter what thing you're trying to accomplish. It doesn't matter what thing you've been called to go through. God always gives us the grace to walk us through it. And he may not answer our prayers the way we think he should. He may not do the thing we think he needs to do, but he always gives us the grace to walk through it. So it doesn't matter to me if God answers my prayer during the 21 days of prayer or not. It doesn't matter if he answers my prayer in the way that I think he should or not. It doesn't matter if he works out his plan the way I think it should go or not. What matters is he gives me the grace to walk through it in every situation of life. That he always gives us the grace to not give up. That he always gives us the strength. If you let him drive it, if you let it drive you to him in the midst of it. We'll close with this. Psalms chapter 9 says it this way. Those who know your name, trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Look, listen to me, church. This is our season to pursue God. This is a chance as a church during these 21 days to go after him with everything we've got. To pursue him in the midst of this. Doesn't matter what you're facing. Doesn't matter what you're walking through. What I do know is that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. That he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And even when you cannot see it, even when you cannot understand what it is, even when you're walking through it and you have no idea why, he gives you the grace and he walks through with you in the midst of it. And he loves you in the midst of it. That the strength for every day, if we'll call on the name of the Lord, if we'll pursue him with everything that we've got. Let me pray for you and then we'll go. Father, we thank you for how good you are to us. Lord, we thank you how faithful you are. God, as we pray and we just prepare for these 21 days, God, as we continue to seek you in the midst of it as a church, Lord, as we lift up our prayers in these, we thank you that you do love us. We thank you that you do have a purpose for us, that you have a plan for our life. We thank you, God, that even if we cannot see the answer that we want, that we trust you in the midst of it. And Lord, we're just praying together as one church, praying together as one church. Now, if you're here today 
Maybe you're in the room or you're watching online and you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus. You're hearing all of this about purpose and plan. And about how much God loves you and you're thinking, well, that's great for everybody else, but it's not for me. And maybe you've heard, I don't know what you've heard in your life, but maybe people have told you God would never want somebody like you. People have told you God could never love somebody like you. Listen to me. I don't care what anybody else has said. Let me tell you right now, truth from God's word, that God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And listen to me. God wants you. He wants you. I don't care if anybody else wanted you. God wants you. He loves you. And it is never too late to be who he created you to be. It's never too late to follow him. And so right now in this moment, if you want to make a decision, you say, I tried everything else and it's not working. I've tried everything else and I understand that it's futile. I've tried everything else. But you say, I'm ready. I want to follow Jesus right now. I want to pray with you. I'm not inviting you to join a religion. I'm not inviting you to join a church. I'm not going to take you in a room after service somewhere. I'm just saying right now you can make a decision to follow Jesus. That he wants you. It starts with a prayer of surrender. It's easy to pray, but it's surrendering your life to him. But if you want to make that decision, I promise you, you will never regret it. I promise you. I promise you. It'll be the best decision you ever made. So church, right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're going to pray this prayer with them. Nobody prays alone. But if you say that right now, watching online, you're in the room right now, you say, I want to pray that prayer. Say these words with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, right now, we pray for anyone who made that decision. God, we pray right now that, Lord, you would come in, Lord, as you said you would, make all things new. God, that they have gone one way, but now they've turned and they're following you. And we pray right now, give them the strength to live out this life. Lord, we thank you for the decision they made. We thank you, God, that you're going to begin to give purpose and plans for them. And, Lord, I pray one more time over our church. God, as we go into these 21 days, I pray one more time. We thank you for the plans you have for us, God. As we go into a season of prayer, God, we're putting maybe the same things on the list, God. Maybe we're going after the same. We pray right now. Give us encouragement and strength in the midst of it. And, Lord, when we don't see what we think we should see come to pass, I thank you that you're giving us new perspective. And you're giving us grace to walk through it while we wait. Lord, we thank you again for all that you do. We'll give you all of the glory and all of the praise in the midst of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, can we give God praise for what he's done today?